Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Priya Bates is perhaps one of my most qualified guests yet on the show. Let me just explain what I mean. Priya is an accredited business communicator, that's an ABC, and one of the very first certified strategic communication management professionals, that's an SCMP, in the world. Then in 2010, she received the Master Communicator, MC designation. That's the highest honour bestowed on a communications professional from the International Association of Business Communicators, IABC, in Canada. In 2016, she then became an IABC Fellow, which is a global lifetime achievement award for her contribution to our profession. Priya has had a comms career spanning more than 20 years. She's worked for one of Canada's largest private sector employers, Loblaw, and at HP, Compact, and the Ontario Nurses Association. Then at the age of 47, Priya struck out on her own. She set up her own consultancy, Inner Strength Communication. Now that name was very intentional. Priya says her passion is driving strong organisational performance from the inside out. Now we get into a, a wide range of subjects in this conversation. As you'll hear, Priya is a very warm and engaging person, but there's a clear central focus, a kind of golden thread, and that's the importance of identifying and building capability, both inside our organisations and inside ourselves. But we start, as I so often like to do, near the beginning, with Priya's parents very much hoping that rather than comms, she'll get into medicine. What I'd like to do is take you back, all the way back to 1986, and you are about to embark on a degree in psychology at the University of Western Ontario. I'm wondering what initially attracted you to psychology and what you learned through doing that degree that perhaps you've used since throughout your comms career. Well, you know what? What's interesting is that I got a degree in science, but it was a combined psychology science degree um, in neuropsych. And the reason I went to Western, uh, it's a university in London, Ontario, not one in England, is that my parents, being an East Indian-oriented person, my parents really wanted me to be in a doctor, which is not unusual. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> say that. And, and I just thought, okay, I'll take the science degree just to get you guys off my back. But the rule is that I need to go away to university. So it was far enough away. And I thought, I love this university. I fell in love with the campus. And that was one of the silly reasons I went to Western for a science degree. And very quickly, after my um, first year of, you know, having to prick my finger and seeing blood and realizing there is no way I will ever be in any place where, you know, a doctor was just not in the cards for me, I started looking at what is possible. And I happened upon this ability to still get my science degree, 
like add psychology and humanities to the mix, which was always something I was interested in. It's interesting to look back at your um, report cards. Mm. And as much as I was a pretty strong student across the board, my best, my best marks were in English, <laughs> in music, in arts. Yes. But those things were those the things that were kind of the nice to haves as far as my family was concerned. The 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 maths and sciences were really important. And I will say both are. So what was great about the psychology, the neuropsych degree that I got was I got to learn about the brain and behavior. And that's something we're hearing a lot about nowadays. I never thought I'd hear about it again. The other thing is a science report is like a business plan. You start with your hypothesis, you identify what your implementation plan is, and then you measure what happens at the end. And that's something that has been a big part of what makes me a bit of a unique communication professional, because I'm always focused on the end result and the metrics and learning from those end results, because you may not get what you thought you would get, <laughs> yes. but, you, but you learn from it every single time. And you're taking a very evidence based and objective approach to the work you do. Correct. And I think that's something that really was different when I went through my PR program. So I went to a certificate in public relations here in, uh, in Toronto, Canada, and, I, uh, and everyone else who came into it came into it from journalism and English and more of the humanities parts of psychologies and sociologies. And I came in with science and I just approached it very differently. And I thought, this is an advantage. This is not a disadvantage. I loved learning about uh, about the uh, humanities and the the writing and all of those things, but I was able to approach it in a very different way. You went on to have some really meaty roles before launching your own business in a strength communication. I mean, I noticed that you worked for Can one of Canada's largest private sector organisations, Loblaw. Is that right? Which yes. employs about a hundred and ninety hundred ninety thousand people across more than two thousand locations. The sheer size and scale of that business sounds really, really challenging. And I'm wondering what that experience taught you about yourself, but also about the comms profession. Um, you know, it was a great organization. It It is Canada's largest private sector employer. Um, and it's a role where we had 150 different collective bargaining agreements and labor relations. So I learned a ton about labor relations, which I hadn't had in my career in the, uh, before that. And I also learned that we can turn anything around. If we start with a plan, we have the commitment and, and engagement and support from our leaders. Mm. And we can actually, and we can create that consistency and alignment against our goals. And it's magic. I, I've, I've described it like that, that what we can do is magic when we've got that alignment and that support and that investment. I started with a team of two at Loblaw Companies Limited that were focused on tactical implementation and just writing stories every few weeks. And we moved it to a team of 17 uh, dedicated to internal communication that everyone sat at some table. We were right. always invited. And that was really great to to take what you knew and be able to turn that organization around. And within a few years, it became a top 100 employer. It's landed on that list uh, since then. 
So it continues to be a top 100 employer, as big a company as it is. Um, it is loved by the public and the community. This had its challenges and crises, but it always approaches them properly and approaches them in an integrated way. So I really enjoy watching where it's gone. And that, and that was part of inner strength for me, uh, that I could come into an organization, create a change, help them focus on internal communication, create practices and processes, and then be able to step away and have them run on their own with a strong communication team. And that was something that I always wanted to do. How did you shift then to help the team shift from quite a tactical implementation, doing stuff to what you described as always having a seat at the table? What happened? What shifted? What did you do differently to encourage that change? I think that I was always the same. I always knew what was possible and and what we needed to drive. But getting there takes time. And some people uh, think that you're going to have those changes going from tactical to strategic overnight. But sometimes it's one step at a time. I think we knew what the goal was. We always start with the goal. We say that, I mean, you know, Rachel Miller says that, Shell Holtz and uh, uh, Steve Crescenzo, all of us who have been talking about internal communication for the last 25 years and have seen very little movement have been talking about, you know, focusing on our goals. And I think I always knew what the goal was. I understood what the organization wanted to do. I was brought in to create cohesiveness in that organization because it was going through a big amalgamation of various entities. Um, And I do that a lot with uh, clients right now, that mergers that have gone wrong, (laughs) that people aren't aligned, there's different cultures. We didn't actually think of that, you know, when we were bringing operational organizations together. But what do we want to achieve? What does that look like? What does success look like? And once we know what that is, then it's being able to navigate your way there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think, and I said one step at a time, it started with saying, let's try this project differently. <laughs> well, you know, as we do the same old stuff in the background, give me one project, give me one leader who understands this, who's seen something different, who's willing to try something new. And as we saw the success in each of those programs, then everybody else said, I want some of that. And then I was able to say no sometimes and say, you know what? I can give you that if I get more resources, money, consultants, extra people. Yes, yes. It's a very powerful tactic, isn't it? To start one step at a time, demonstrate some success in a small way, showcase what can be achieved to others, and then they want to get on board. And the key is showcasing. You said showcasing. Uh, I wrote a blog that was set, that was called Learning to Brag, because mm. for so long, we as internal communication professionals took pride in being behind the scenes um, and having the influence and having the power, but not talking about it very much because we wanted to give our organizations and our leaders that spotlight, as we should. But afterwards, we need to, behind the scenes as well, tell people what you did to make that difference. And I want, you know, and that's part of the, the planning process saying, what are we going to do with it? And that debrief that says, now, what did we do? And what do we do really well? And we want to tell you about it. And, and it's closing that loop. We have to be more disciplined about that as, as a profession. So you mentioned labor relations there. And I know um, certainly some of AB clients and I know listeners will have potentially unionized workforces. Was there one thing that you did or you saw that made that process communicating, getting unions on board a little bit easier? Any insight you can give us there? 
whether it's union relation, uh, labor relations or it's crisis management, one of the things I say a lot is the way we communicate during the good times will give us credit and help and credibility during the tough times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's creating that infrastructure that you're not just developing because you're in crisis. And often, you know, whether we're called in or when we were able to develop and make the case for investments was during that crisis or during that disruption. But where we get credit for that is years later when we've got that infrastructure in place, a way of connecting with our people that doesn't seem different just because we're involved in a negotiation now. Yes. It's, yes. Right. It's just an, it's just different information coming from the same channels. I w- had a chance uh, to work with a union inside a union. It was Canada's largest nursing union, um, Ontario Nurses Association. And being on the inside for that year and a half was enlightening for me. I realized that how much the unions value communication. Because their people aren't all in the same place. They're working for various companies. They're getting different information. So they need to use communication as a bit of a weapon. Yes. uh, You know, in order to drive that connection and drive that pride and justify the dues. Because their their customers are your employees. Yes, absolutely. And, and they put the they put the dollars and in investments there, and that was really eye opening for me. I realized how you know I really respected the fact that the unions valued that. Mm. And it's interesting what you said there about not just putting your head above the parapet in a crisis, but being consistent, especially during the good times, and earning your stripes then, and creating a reason to believe that transcends the initial crisis. I guess, yeah, makes absolutely. perfect sense. So after many years of working in-house, you made the decision to start your own business. And I'm guessing a lot of people dream of doing that, but it just remains a dream for many. Just thinking back to that time and what sparked you to actually turn the dream into reality, do you have any advice for listeners who might be thinking, I'd love to do that, but I'm not sure I can or I don't know how to. What was the spark for you? What made you actually turn that dream into a reality? I always planned to do it. It was something that when I looked at um, at those uh, uh, consultants who were talking about internal communication, because it was really new, you know, 20 years ago when I heard about it, I started out in customer communications and, and uh, marketing communications and sales communications. So it was, I never would have imagined that internal communication was what I was interested in, but, but it was a lot of IABC uh, leaders who, who really encouraged me over the years and, and helped me focus where I had my passion. But then I realized that I'm kind of doing it anyway. I come into organizations, I change things, and then I get bored, and then I move on. And, <laughs> and that was kind of my, my, you know, if you looked at my career, that's, you know, that's, it was working with organizations that were going through transformational change. And as soon as they started settling down, I felt it was time to go to somewhere else and help that. So this gave me a chance to, to do that in a, uh, a bit of a removed way. I love consulting. I can't imagine doing anything else now, five years later. But it's really thinking about why you want to be a consultant. I think, uh, you know, you'll read a lot from a variety of consultants out there. Uh, it seems like, yes, you have flexibility, but it is hard work. Yes. And and you uh, and who you are after you don't have a title and a big office and a big company behind your name is really who you need to find once you are on your own. 
I have an agency. It's a virtual agency with great uh, communication professionals uh, who work with me collaboratively on various projects that are out there, but they've all had to go through that same journey. So ask yourself why. Plan for it. I I say this all the time. Plan for it financially because it's going to take some time to to have that regular income coming in and be ready to sell know who you are and sell yourself sell your uh your abilities and and where you make a difference because that's something that's very uncomfortable especially for uh internal communication professionals where they're again used to being behind the scenes and all of a sudden you're in the spotlight and that's a little bit uncomfortable so you're very much in that discomfort zone were you were you nervous before you actually took the plunge or did you feel that no I've got everything in place I mean was that was a moment of anticipation when you thought if this doesn't go right I've got a plan B how how were you approaching that yeah I I was uh very lucky I I started talking to my boss at Loblaw several years in advance to say I know that my next step is on my own it's not I'm not looking for another job so if you'd like to take me, give me a package to leave. (laughs) I'm happy to take it. I was part of those reorg conversations uh, uh, because I was part of the teams. I knew what was happening five years out. Uh, uh, So I knew what that process looked like and when they were planning things. And I put my hand up. And that was a unique opportunity. I had a great relationship with my boss and was able to have that conversation. He took the first year, he tried to talk me out of it. And then he finally, (laughs) after about a few years, he finally said, yes, let's go. So um, I, I think I was at that precipice if he hadn't said yes. I probably would have stepped away, but I was lucky to have that bit of a financial cushion um, yes. when, uh, you know, having uh, having left uh, uh, my former employer. So it was uh, it, it was a bit of a plus. So if you can have those conversations, that uh, that would give you some uh, uh, you know some support while you're making the changes. But ultimately, uh, with consulting, I. As much as my job and my my boss and my company were amazing, there was no reason if I put things on a list (laughs) that I should have, you know, left. I felt like I wasn't in the right place. Yes. And and there's a lot of that instinct and intuition and and the feeling you have of of where you think you should be um, uh, and where you belong um, Mm -hmm. and that you're not really on the path you're meant to be on. Um, and, and it was that feeling that kind of remained with me that, that said, I need to try this. I think I was 47 at the time. And I, I said to myself, my inner voice saying, I better try this now, because mm-hmm. if it does work out, then I can go back before I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're preparing yourself to fail, but it, I, I, I try to, it's kind of like those calculated risks. It's going out there and saying, what are you going to do? Not stop talking about it, do something about it, and it may work out and it may not. And either way is okay. We learn our learn something about ourselves yes. along the way. And yes. I felt that I would have had I would have regretted never giving it a chance and a try. But yeah. I was open to whatever outcome. Yes, 
Yes. I always say in life, we tend to regret what we didn't do rather than what we did. And I think that's a classic example of that. You, you mentioned there that running your own business isn't easy. And it's a dream uh, for many. And I think we've got quite an entrepreneurial mindset amongst some of the newer generations coming into the workforce. But is there something you know now, a few years on from running a business that you wish you'd known at the beginning? I think it's really creating that discipline um, when you're on your own, still being, still doing your business plan, mm-hmm. still holding yourself accountable. It's uh, um, whether we say this to internal communication professionals inside the organization or for ourselves outside. If we don't actually write things down and set set ourselves some goals and timelines mm-hmm. uh, that we need to accomplish, then then we have no way of measuring whether we're moving forward. Yes. And yes. there's no way of, of being accountable to ourselves in terms of what success looks like, because everybody defines their own success. It means something different to every single individual. Um, you know, for some, it's having more time with their children and maybe not working the 60 hours that we used yes. to in corporate, right, uh, a week. Uh, it, 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 success looks like different things for different people. So understand what that looks like for you and then hold yourself accountable. So I have, I don't look at my plan every day, but I, but January is the time period that I, I relook at my plan, identify things. And then I touch back, back every now and then and say, has anything changed? Cause remember, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. People think that if you write down a plan and you didn't meet every single check, every box you failed, but the plan is a guide. Yes. And there, and there are circumstances and, and environments and, situations that cause you to 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 uh, change and that happens in corporations and businesses and uh, you know governments <laughs> you know yes. all the time uh, it, it, it it's something that guides you but there is a conversation that happens along the way that says are we still going in this direction or has something changed for us yes I love that approach it means you're being really intentional about what your steps are the value that you're adding and what you want to get out of it. You're not drifting into it and seeing what happens, but you're really getting to know, I think, yourself. And a lot of your blogs, which I loved reading your blogs, a lot of it is about getting in tune with yourself, what you love and your passions, and making those the core of your value proposition, which I, I, mean, I just absolutely love reading about that. Uh, I, I think we spend so much time, you know, worrying about what everybody else thinks. Um, and and defining ourselves by other people's uh, um, gradings or you know yes. situations and, and and what everybody else thinks is successful, but but I don't I think I think we're getting to a point where the conversation is changing, and it's just like even the organizations I work with, success is different for each of them depending on the situation they're in, depending yes. on the leader who's leading, and and it's not a cookie cutter formula, and mm-hmm. as and it shouldn't be. It really is defining that yourself. That's wonderful advice. You've said that our challenges as I see professionals are no longer about, well, so much about capability and capacity, perhaps more about courage and confidence. And I wonder if you can expand on this. And one of the things that I think really needs developing is how we actually build that courage and confidence, because these are not switches on the wall that we can just flip and all of a sudden we're feeling more confident. How do we build that courage and confidence? I think the reason I came up with, uh, I love alliteration, so you'll see a lot of the <laughs> alliteration. In the stuff that I, I do write. too. 
but, uh, but when I created that statement, it was, it was coming from a place of frustration a little bit for me because we've been talking about making a change in internal communication and the importance of internal communication for the entire time I've been in this field. Um, and, uh, and that's 25 plus years now. Uh, and we haven't seen, we're starting to see some progress, yes. but it's been slow. It's been slow. And, and what I've been hearing when I talk to communication professionals, because I, I very involved with uh, IABC, the International Association of Business Communicators. Um, I go to a lot of conferences, so I speak at a lot of conferences. And when we talk to people, what you hear is the frustration the, the uh, talking about the lack of respect, the fact that we're not listened to, the fact that we haven't got that seat at the table, that decisions are made without our uh, our involvement. And then I, when I try to encourage them to do something differently, there's a hesitation. Yes, yes. So they, they, they know what they want, but they're not necessarily willing to, to change the way they do things in order to get there. Yes, Right. And, and it's for me, sometimes it's visual. It's, it's, it feels like, again, we're, we're not taking that step forward. We're not willing to make that climb, but we're willing to sit there and, and complain about it. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm laughing about it, but I realized that it was it had nothing to do with that, uh, that what they did and, and how good they were at what they did. It really, and yes, they, they, everybody has lots of things on their plate, but they weren't willing to make that step to change. Mm-hmm. And that, that required that courage and confidence to have different conversations, to not just be order takers and step away and deliver what was being asked, but actually move the conversation to something that was more important that would deliver sustainable change. Yes. And, and, and I think that uh, uh, it really, uh, without those steps we talk about, it really is f- finding that one project. If you believe that, th- uh, that you can make a difference, I believe that internal communication can, can accomplish anything. It's a critical enabler, an integral enabler of organizational success. I've seen that happen. I've seen organizations go through change with limited disruption because of the communication um, that's happening. And that's a team effort. It's not just one individual. It's a collaborative effort with leaders and and, uh, operational leaders and everybody who's involved. But communication is the key. We have to pick that one project. Start with something that you can really hang your hat on. But I also noticed you are incredibly well qualified. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering what uh-huh. impact that has made. I mean, the, the letters after your name, has that given you confidence, do you think? I, I think that going after those letters is the confidence, not getting them. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, I think that uh, uh, but P, uh, people laugh at the letters. But for me, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but but it was for me to prove that I'm uh, I know what I'm talking about, uh, and and be able to put myself out there. Uh, a lot of those who haven't gone out after their uh, accreditations or the chartered, I know that uh, you've got chartered uh, uh, accreditations and certifications in the UK yes. as well. Um, but it's I think the courage and confidence comes from stepping out there and giving it a try. Yes. And proving that you are who you say you are. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 I give people, you know, 90 percent of that battle, whether they get earn the certification or not, is getting out there and trying. Yes. Uh, so so I th- so I believe that that they uh, 
when we see uh, uh, HR and and project management professionals and uh, certified meeting planners and and uh, and pro- professional accountants, you know, they have the certification to say there is a standard. And I believe there is a standard for strategic internal strategic communication in general, yes. and and I'm going to go out there and and make sure that I'm meeting that standard, and I'm learning along the way. Yes. You know? Yes. So 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 I think that the uh, I think it's it, that's maybe one great step to that courage and confidence to say you are a professional. So you'll notice I say communication professional versus communicator because everybody is a communicator. Yes, absolutely. Right, and and everybody we work with are communicators, and they can claim to be, but not everyone can claim to be a communication professional. So let's get out there and and prove it. We need to get that critical mass uh, of people embracing these certifications, whichever ones they are, yes. um, in communication, in order to say you know, there is a difference between those who are certified and those who aren't. Especially in this age, because of social media, everyone can publish content, can't they? Everyone could be a writer, a filmmaker. So it's so much more important that you have professional qualifications. So so it's really about how do we differentiate? Just turning to a different subject, I read another one of your blogs where you you wrote that the difference between external and internal comms is like the difference between dating and marriage. And I wondered if you could expand on this for us. Everybody really liked that one. It's funny. I just get these sometimes it's crazy ideas in my head and what am I going to write about? Uh, um, and I was trying to explain the difference because I've noticed as internal communication is starting to have its day, it is starting to rise. Like your podcast is is really a, really amazing because it couldn't, you might not have been able to do this Absolutely. 10 years ago. Absolutely. And, and so it's really exciting to see the, the, the discipline grow um, and, and get its recognition uh, it, from a strategic perspective. So as I was trying to explain, what's the difference? There's all these PR people who are coming in um, and saying the agencies, because there aren't a lot of internal communication agencies, especially mm. in Canada. Mm. I, I they're, they're always contacting me in Canada. Uh, so it was, the difference for me was they'd approach these programs as campaigns, right? Uh, and and they'd approach them as point in time. Yes. And and it was very frustrating. I I call them launch and leave, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, so it's these launch and leave programs that are flavor of the month because from an agency perspective, it gives them uh, something new to do and, and lots of money to be made. Yes. But it doesn't actually create the sustainable change and the commitments that you're looking for. So yes. if an ex- executive is asking for, we want more engagement, they're not asking for better scores on the on the Gallup. What they're asking for is employees who are coming in and bringing their whole selves every day, that uh, they're asking for employees who understand um, what's going on and, and are committed and are staying with the organization and do, going above and beyond for the organization. Um, and they're asking for that delivery uh, and results from a business perspective. But from a marriage and dating, uh, I guess it just realized it was that nature of point in time. Yes. Let's do something really sexy that's fun. And it was that sexiness, that, you know, or boring internal communication. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to keep the you know keep things going every single day and build that connection and community and it was it, it that 
that uh, analogy really kind of hit people that when an org when you're dating you're trying to be sexy you're trying to tell people the good stuff you know you're trying to attract somebody yes um, and and so you're acting very differently but once you start getting into commitment so marriage was the commitment uh, you've made that commitment we're stuck with each other for a little while <laughs> yeah, we can, yes we can decide to leave but we try not to yes and there's a different, you don't expect that, yes, you want to keep the, the, the lights alive and keep, keep things exciting, but you don't do it every single day. You yes. can't, right? Yes. You have that you actually change to being, you need to have honest conversations. You need to talk about how li- life is changing mm. and how we're going to address and, and approach this and move forward together throughout those disruptions in our lives. Uh, you need to talk about the good stuff and you need to talk about the bad stuff. You need to say sorry. When yes. you, you, know, you need to be more authentic. So it just felt like it was the right analogy. And, and I remember that blog on LinkedIn. Most of my, my blogs maybe get, you know, 500 readers. And that one got something like seven or 8,000. It was just <laughs> crazy. But, people, but it resonated with people. When I explained that analogy to leaders, they all of a sudden take a step back and go, okay, I get it now. I understand why we're just not trying to create another campaign that this is what we try to do every single day and and we can't go a quarter without saying anything to our people. and think everything's okay. Yeah, I love the analogy of of being really open and in it for the long term and um, being very honest. And I think that's exactly how we must must be as internal communicators. I'm going to stick with the personal stuff now. You're, you're a woman of East Indian heritage, and I'm guessing there's been plenty of times in your career when you've been completely surrounded by white men, I'm guessing. I'd love to know how far you think women and people of colour have really progressed since you began your career in the 1990s. And I believe you have two daughters. So I was going to pry even further and ask for the advice that you might give your daughters in terms of their career. I think that uh, things things have progressed a little bit. I think the difference today is we're more aware of it because we're talking, it's, the conversation is very open about diversity and inclusion, uh, about uh, uh, sexism, about, uh, about what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Uh, and so we can't, because the conversation is so um, open yes. <laughs> today, you can't not see the disconnects. Right. Right. We we probably would have uh, ignored them years ago and just accepted them, maybe not necessarily ignored them, but accepted them as a norm. Yes. As the conversation is elevated, it's really hard for anyone to accept. We're in that disruption. We're in that kind of shock and anger stage of the change curve, (laughs) 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 you know, uh, uh, as we see things changing. Uh, Today, when even with my clients, I am still uh, often the only person of color in a executive boardroom presenting. I see more women, more women than used to be the case uh, around that table. There's still a lot of, you know, white men. The only time I don't see that uh, is in uh, startup technology companies mm. uh, where, where some of my clients I'm seeing uh, because they're the founders of the business. Yes. Uh, you'll see a little bit more, uh, you know, more diversity. Um, but it's still, we still have a long way to go. Uh, and, uh, and I think that 
I always, uh, I want to make sure that we do what we say we're going to do. Um, I saw a video, it was a beautiful video that was done on LinkedIn. Uh, it was being spread and it was one of the big banks in Canada. We have a lot of big banks here, <laughs> that are global banks. Uh, and uh, and there was a beautiful uh, video on uh, speaking up about yes. diversity. And it was done really well. And my first instinct was I'm going to go to the executive, the executive page on that bank site and take uh, a look. Yes. And what did I see? I saw a, a, a board uh, management team of, I think, you know, 10 white men with one white woman. Mm, mm. And I thought, oh, I hope, I hope, I think I love the intent. Yes. So I didn't stop the conversation or douse the conversation, but I hope they're also having a conversation about what they're doing to change that. Yes. That they're, they're talking about the fact that they're aware that there is a disconnect today, but this is the beginning of changes that need to happen at the bottom in order to drive those changes eventually at the top, mm, right? Yes. It does take time. Um, I find that even as a, I, I run conferences um, and looking, I look at speaker groups and say, in this day and age, if you have four people who are on a panel, better make <laughs> sure at least a woman and a person of mm. color there. Mm, and it's mm. hard to find them. Because mm-hmm. at the same time as as uh, that, you know, people are, aren't necessarily intentionally <laughs> trying not to be diverse, there's not a lot of people stepping up either. Yes. Uh, and so even when I, I, you know, I do an open call for my presentations at conference, and I'm amazed. I, I, it may be that systemic change that or the systemic bias that people will, that those with more confidence. <laughs> yes. You know, and courage because of the situation or because of the privilege are more willing to step up yes, and others are not. Yeah, absolutely. So so I try to be very conscious of being visible. I realize that when I'm doing a focus group, because I do a lot of uh, communication audits in employee rooms, Mm. there is a ton of diversity. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and when I step in that room, I feel the fact that they see that it's not a a white man (laughs) or that that being a woman and a woman of color who steps into that room and is asking them their opinion – I all of a sudden have this different kind of credibility. They open up in mm. ways that I cannot believe it's been. So I realize now that it's a real advantage. Yes. You know, for me to be able to go into a room and have them talk to me and share their feelings. And, and, and then I'm as comfortable speaking with, with those on in the upper parts of the organization, because I understand business and I understand the results and I understand their, the operations. I can get up to speed with their business really, really quickly. So, so I, I can kind of play in both places, but it gives me an advantage to, to get the real story and be able to also come back and say, here's what works and here's what doesn't. Do you think in 2020, you would potentially give different advice to your daughters than your parents might have given you back in the day, do you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, or my, my kids actually uh, joke around that even with uh, some of their uh, friends, uh, if you, they say you, you either have to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a disappointment, and <laughs> they laugh. They, that this is what their friends are talking about. So some things haven't changed, <laughs> but but then but then they talk about me, and they say, yeah, well, mom doesn't care how we do with our grades. Mom doesn't care how we do with, uh, which is not true. That's their impression. But what I always say to them is, did you do your best? Yes. Have you found what you're good at? Mm. What it's your job is to find find your strength 
and find your contribution and your purpose. And as long as you're doing your best and you're not getting arrested, I'm in pretty good shape. (laughs) But I love the answer because it absolutely demonstrates why you called your business Inner Strength. There's a lovely synergy to that, which I adore. (laughs) You know what? It's a philosophy that's built over time. And it applies not only professionally, but that absolutely does apply personally as well. Yes, but I think when your personal and professional values align, then that's almost like a superpower. So, yeah, I can completely understand why this is working so well for you. I've often thought that our failures in life are as informative, if not more informative and certainly transformative than our successes. I just wondered if you were willing to share even just a small failure from the past few years um, and what you might have learned as a result of that. I'm, you know what, I should have thought, I was like, I, I don't, I mean, I've made mistakes, mm. right? And those, those tend to be, and I've always uh, owned up. So whether it's, I remember this one situation where I got the date wrong on a big, uh, uh, I guess it was a religious observation, uh, and I'd gotten my information from a wrong source, and I should have double-checked it. And and I realized, oh, uh, and we we wished somebody uh, wished the entire group a, a happy holiday in this religious observation the week after it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it was sent out from the president. <laughs> <It was. laughs> and and I and I remember uh, with any, and I'm sure I've had situations where that has happened, where you have made those mistakes, but. The same advice I'd give the clients is we need to own up to to it. If if I made the mistake, I'm going to go up and say I made the mistake. This one's my fault. Yes, um, and I'll take and I'll take the fall for it. Yes, um, and and, and, uh, and I want to make sure that that is the case. I'm never one to kind of hide and pretend it didn't happen. But then I also jump really quickly to what did I learn from it? Yes. So, so I think that the, what I'm starting to learn is that as, as a consultant, we, we go and we bid for a lot of different projects, but so is everybody else. Yes. And, the, and what I've learned is the projects that come up are the right projects. Yes. That things have its way of working out the way they're meant to work out. Yes. Um, and, and that's kind of exciting and comforting in a lot of ways. It doesn't mean you don't put out the effort. You still put out your best effort. Um, yes. and, and you learn from the things that go, don't go well. So one of the things I quite enjoy is going into an organization and saying where we were headed is actually the wrong direction. So we need to pivot. Yes. <laughs> move a little bit this way because that's not working for us. So, so I think that kind of avoids you from thinking of success and like absolute success and absolute failure whereas it's all about learning and admitting I think to when you've learned something new and you've drifted off course or into the wrong area and that open and honest conversation is actually really powerful isn't it yeah building trust exactly and that that happens with ourselves and it happens with our organizations it's all kind of coming from the same place Mm, yes sometimes it seems like it's common sense doesn't it it does (laughs) 
Yeah, I think, I th- yes, it is weird how sometimes it seems like <laughs> common sense. But I think what happens in my head, I've got this, I haven't quite worked out the ratio yet. But as soon as you get a certain number of people in an organisation, and I think it's when you can't fit them all in one room, even a very, very, very big room, then that common sense can just fall apart for some reason and they need help and guidance. I think that's all, of, all it is, I think. Absolutely. We're, we're just creating connections, right? Yes. Uh, it's a... It, and that's what that's the role. It's a different role. It's not just the person who writes. Where 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 are the people who connect the organization? We help enable. We help engage. We help empower. And it's helping people make the right decisions when the leader is not in the room. Yes. And in this virtual and mobile and remote world, and one that's going to be more full of freelancers and independents in the future. Mm. How do you create that consistency? Because at the end of the day, that's what the customer is looking for. Looking ahead, I'm wondering what you think are the next big challenges for internal communication. Are they are there reoccurring things you think we're going to keep going back to, or do you think there's new challenges and issues on the horizon we need to be mindful of? The conversations are so elevated in terms of politics and uh, um, and uh, race and and diversity and all of those things uh, uh, that we're talking about. People are looking for the actions to match the words. Mm. People are talking about blurring lines, but where those blurring lines are is that the inside and the outside are not as separated and yes. as siloed as they used to be. Um, and and I think that's the, the the big opportunity is partnerships and collaboration, and not being in your in your silo doing your job and not worrying about what else is going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's two things there, isn't there? One is transparency, because I think we live in a world of almost, you know, I've heard it called radical transparency. I'm not quite sure what that means, but basically it's much easier for all our audiences, whether they're internal or external, to find out what's really going on, because this information is at their fingertips. And And those conversations now are going on in places we can't see. Right. So that's the one thing that when I look at uh, the girls, uh, I've, I've got two teenage daughters, um, and uh, they've uh, they've moved from those public tools like Facebook and Twitter and um, and uh, Instagram, and they are they're doing most of their conversations on Snapchat, things that don't stick around, or private conversations between groups. It used we used to be able to see those conversations. We can't see those conversations, so we need to be able to influence those conversations with the truth. And the facts and the perspective. Yes. I mean, I think it was only just a couple of years ago when private messaging apps outgrew the number of downloads of the, the public networks. And that was a turning point, I think. I've been, people were calling it dark social. But you're absolutely right. When you can't see exactly what people are saying, you better make sure you're putting out a very consistent message. Can we turn to those quick fire questions, if we may. Sure. Uh, so what would most surprise people about Priya Bates? I'm a real optimist or people see a real optimist, but I, just like everybody else, have that negative self-talk. Um, right. I've, uh, I've spent a lot of time over the last few years, really. Uh, I have a coach that I work with, uh, who who we've uh, who's part psychologist, I think, um, who I can talk to on a regular basis about my fears, about the things that I think will stand in my way, about the things I tell myself of why I can't. So you you can I think people might be surprised by that that there that there is a lot of like that my first reaction to something inside would be oh I can't do that. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> and then I'll eventually talk myself into why I can. But but I think people might be surprised by that. So just getting really practical about that, just give people some insight. So how often usually do you meet your coach? I meet him once a month. Mm, mm. Yeah. And we go for like about an hour, hour and a half session. Yeah. Yeah. And and how long have you been sort of using a coach to kind of, you know, brainstorm these things and share ideas and learn more, I guess, about yourself? How long has that process been going? For the last five years that I've been having my business. Yes. I yes. think I realized uh, part of it might be that uh, when once you're on your own, you start out as an independent. Uh, you don't have very many people to talk to. <laughs> Yes. So, yes. So uh, I think that, uh, uh, and there are a lot of fears. Mm-hmm. What, and and I wanted to be able to. Uh, and this person is a, a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time, and we finally said, okay, you know what? I'm going to start with a session. It started out as a session every maybe three or four months, mm-hmm. but we've got. But as I've gotten more successful, and as things have really come together, we're actually seeing each other more often, not next, not less. That's really interesting. No, I'm a big believer in it. I have one myself. It's really good. What one book, journal or website should all communicators read? I still have my, when I got my accreditation, it was the organizational handbook from IABC. Oh. Um, I uh, And it's being rewritten right now. And the reason it's top of mind is I'm actually writing the uh, chapter on internal communication. And oh. So I'm I'm excited about that. I thought that was a great book, uh, especially if you're pursuing um, certification. It's a good one to have. And then the most of the stuff I read, I have to admit, can uh, is more of the self help stuff. Yes. I love Brene Brown and Braving the yes. Wilderness. Uh, I loved uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. And it's, again, it may be uh, aligned to that philosophy about fixing what's in you. What you do is different, but it's, it's really, you know, how do you create that, that confidence and that courage and, and get in touch with yourself? Brilliant. We'll put the, uh, the links to those books in the show notes. So this is the big question. What would you do tomorrow if you knew for certain you couldn't fail? <laughs> this is this is something I'm actually trying to do. Uh, so uh, you probably uh, from this conversation, we've talked about that. Uh, there's a professional part of me that focus on internal communication, but there is that movement into that self awareness and self uh, um, inspiration, if you, if you will. And and so I'm thinking of of starting a uh, a series called Wisdom in the Winery. <laughs> and it's a combination. It's a combination. You're laughing at it, but it's it's a combination of how do we get together and share our insights? Um, how do we find people who inspire us? And how we do we give ourselves uh, the opportunity to indulge? Because so much is about guilt. Whether you're a mom or whether you're a woman or or anybody, right? Everyone's being made feel to feel guilty about what we have. So so we're asked to 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 deliver great things and have great success. And then even when we have that success, we're being told, oh, you should be a feel guilty for having it. And, and I'm thinking, you know, we need to value ourselves more. And so, uh, so I thought I, I'm a foodie. I, I love uh, great experiences. And, and I want to combine those things where I can bring people together uh, who have like minds and to be able to hear from a great speaker or a great author um, and and talk to one another and connect in a different way. It sounds wonderful. And I really hope those become international <laughs> events because I'm signing up. 
I think it's interesting how personal connection and meeting in real life is so powerful because we do do so much remotely these days. So it really appeals just on that alone, I think. So when you think of the world's best communicator, alive or dead, and this doesn't have to be someone famous, who who comes to mind? Oh, I, I think the person who does come to mind, and maybe it's uh, because of the time of the year it is, is Martin Luther King. Right. And and I and I think of that. I have a dream speech. I, I mention it all the time about that. It was spoken with such passion. It was spoken with such purpose. Mm. And it still is so relevant today. Yes. It's timeless um, in terms of the issues and, and uh, challenges and the opportunities mm. that we have. Um, mm. And I think about him being able to provide, give that speech at a time that was so tough for him to have that voice mm. uh, and be able to rise up and do what was right. Uh, I, I find a lot of inspiration from that. Do you have any observations on where those great passionate purpose-led orators have gone. <laughs> what have we done? Because I, I, I can't think of, I mean, maybe you can, I can't think of anyone particular in the public eye now who could make that speech today. Um, I think they're there. Right, okay. uh, I think I think they're there. I think that you, you see it more in moments. Um, right. I think because uh, the way we receive that information now is we're not necessarily sitting there and watching, unless you're on Netflix, uh, watching a, a series. You know, you'll hear some of those uh, speeches because somebody else has written it. Yes. Uh, you know, that are long and powerful. But but I, I love uh, the stuff on uh, the internet that I tend to gravitate towards is those conversations and moments that seem to uh, to come up. I love listening to... Uh, uh, Graduation ceremonies. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. When, yes. when 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 a uh, somebody's receiving an honorary degree and yes. they're giving their insights and the ones that go viral. I think I think it's the the, the opportunity for everyone to, when they get the platform to inspire. Yes. If yes. they've gotten the permission to do that, it's yes. possible. Yes. Yes. And, and everybody I... has a great story to tell. So the final question is, what message would you put on a billboard for millions to see? I was thinking about this. Uh, it's, I think the, the, what I was thinking was together we are stronger. With, yes. uh, w- with all the, the everything that is trying to divide us today, again, whether it, we're talking about our corporations, whether we're talking about our families, whether yes. we're talking about communities, I feel there's there's a lot more that connects us than divides us. Mm, yes, and I think absolutely. if we can get to the point where we realize that as a community, as a world, as a global group of individuals, we're stronger together, uh, trying to work out our problems. We don't have to all agree. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. but we have to feel that the humanity is is the most important thing. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight and an honour to interview you. So I'm very grateful for your time. It was so nice meeting you. I've oh, been lovely to, to you. your podcast.
Thank you. Thank you. I really hope I get to IABC World Conference this year. So hopefully we can meet in person. Yeah, I'm speaking there now. I oh, wasn't fantastic. But, uh, but I, I, I just was added to the speaking roster there. So I hope I do get to meet you there, Katie. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Priya. Take care. Okay, Thank you. Thanks. Bye. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms Podcast. To find out more about the books and the other resources that Priya and I talked about, head over to the show notes at abcom.co.uk forward slash podcasts and you'll see the show notes there plus all the other episodes from this season and season one. Now, while you're there, you might like to sign up for our monthly IC newsletter. It's called I Saw This and Thought of You. That way you'll get updates on the show straight into your inbox, plus a few other newsy nuggets from the world of comms. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be really grateful if you could rate it on iTunes, because I'm told that that's the very best way of making the show more discoverable for other IC pros out there that might find it helpful. We have some great guests coming up. Listen out for a brand new interview with Rachel Miller. And finally, the icy luminary himself, Bill Quirk. Plus, I put my first CEO in the hot seat. So just hit the subscribe button today. So all that remains to be said is thank you. Thank you for listening. I know there are so many other shows and podcasts out there. So I'm very grateful you've chosen the Internal Comms Podcast. And until we meet again, my lovely listeners, remember, it's what's inside that counts.